Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And a good morning to one hand and all. Um, yeah, I'm the aforementioned Lynn Cullen, and it be uh, Monday, January 28th. Is that right? Gee whiz. Um, and uh, here we are. Uh, as is often the case on Mondays, I'd like to sort of tiptoe in, start a little cautiously. <laughs> What's happened since last we spoke? Oh, yeah, stuff happened. Uh, Donald Trump blinked. Um, <laughs> it was fairly obvious that that was going to have to happen on Friday when, uh, I think, when they closed LaGuardia down, that was it. Uh, I, I, so, uh, guys, I don't know. I, I, I want to tell you that uh, this uh, CNN is, is, um, has some town hall tonight, presidential forum with Kamala Harris in Iowa. Guys, please, no. It's just, I mean, I know we've got to sort through all these people, but I'm not going to be able to, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to choose who I want uh, for at least a, a year <laughs> from now, <laughs> I, um, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, this, is, this is way, way, way. And what will happen is the media are just going to choose some of these people up. They're going to write, well, they'll do what they always do. They bring them up. And then they start taking them down. And it's, I'm so sick of the exercise that we know will play out. Uh, so, unlike I can see what's happening on Twitter already, um, you know, there's already Democrats at each other's throats <laughs> about supporting this one or that one. And, uh, wow, I'm... Uh, I am going to take a very uh, arm's length uh, approach to this un until some of it shakes out. Um, I, I just can't. I, I'm starting to, you know, I can't help it because I read and uh, journalists are starting to write stories to introduce us all to these uh, people who want to be president. Uh, And, um, you know, it's an impressive group of people, no doubt about it. I don't have a clue at this point who would be the best candidate for the Democrats to put up. Um, and, of course, we don't know what will transpire um, in the next two years uh, that would create an environment where a certain kind of candidate would uh, clearly be uh, preferable to a majority of Americans than another. I just, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't normally watch 60 Minutes. My son was over last night, and he said, I'm watching 60 Minutes. Uh, oh, no. First of all, it almost always depresses the hell out of me, and last night was no exception. Um, but uh, there was the former 
Starbucks CEO uh, Howard Schultz uh, saying he wants to be the president and he's so rich that he already has an organization uh, that will have um, up and running uh, offices in all 50 states within the next three months. And of course, he's written a book. You got to write a book. Remember when you used to have to jog? You have to jog, you have to write a book, and you have to go to Iowa. And um, he's not the only billionaire in the mix. As a matter of fact, I believe at this point, are there three? We got uh, Democrats have three billionaires uh, in the mix. There's uh, Schultz, there's uh, Tom Steyer, the impeach uh, Trump guy. I don't know if he's totally said he's running. Um, and there's Michael Bloomberg, maybe. I don't think rich people should be able to buy the Oval Office. I know that we're told that that means that if they're self-funding, they won't be owned by some other rich person. But inevitably, they all seem to be owned anyway. I'm sorry, I'm sounding pretty. Anyway, Schultz, uh, you know, I, God help us. I, I will say this. Um, he is not intending to run as a Democrat, so some of what I said is not correct. He wants to run as an independent, uh, a la Perot, and um, all that ever does is, uh, well, <laughs> what it would do is harm the Democratic nominee in this case since he is, frankly, a Democrat. So if he's a Democrat running as an independent, he'll siphon uh, votes away from the Democratic contender. Uh, I don't know. This is going to exhaust me. It's going to exhaust us all. By the way, Schultz uh, does have a, uh, uh, advisors, including a guy I really like, Steve Schmidt, who was uh, John McCain's campaign, I don't know, head, strategist, whatever, Steve Smith. I mean, Steve uh, Schmidt. I mean, what the? Steve Schmidt. Howard Schultz, Steve Schmidt. It's all, it's what are we getting? Lichtenstein? What is that? It seems like a lot of Germans. But, um, Oh, and I didn't know that Schultz says he's a Jew. That came out on the 60 Minutes thing. I had him, you know, in Lederhosen, and, a, and he's a Jew? Howard Schultz, who knew? Anyway, he's a self-made uh, billionaire. I think you know how he did it. Uh, but independents are spoilers in this country, and I'm, I'm a little shocked that he would do that. As little Tony has just written, Schultz is a jag off. Well, <laughs> spoken, <laughs> spoken like a, like a Pittsburgher. Oh God! And Kamala Harris, geez. Um, first of all, I did not know her ethnicity, so now I do because I did read. Uh, so her her mother, uh, both her parents are immigrants. Her mom uh, from India. 
her father from Jamaica. And uh, both highly educated immigrants. And so she, that's, that's where she cometh from. She also, uh, it's come out over the weekend that she was, um, I don't know, you can say a protege, but I think mistress is the right word uh, in her younger years to an extremely powerful political figure in California uh, who was also mayor of San Francisco for a while, also head of the, um, I think, state assembly. I mean, a true power broker, and uh, that's Willie Brown. Don't know if you can picture him. He's quite a, quite a character and powerful character. And um, he came out over the weekend and broke his silence on his relationship with Kamala Harris. Um, he wrote a column, I believe this was, in, was this in the San Francisco Chronicle? Yeah, I think, yeah, yep. He wrote a column, he has a weekly column in the San Francisco Chronicle, and he wrote a column uh, that admitting, essentially, that he mentored her, that he used his uh, position to boost her career. Uh, he was in an openly extramarital relationship with uh, her. Now, he had one of those marriages where uh, everyone knew they, he and his wife were estranged, but for some reason there was no divorce, I believe. I don't know, but uh, so he was also something like what? He was a whole lot older than Harris at this point. This can't be helpful, right? <laughs> I'm thinking of the trouble, you know, the women, the standard for women mm. is, is so much higher than a standard for any man in political office. Um, but here you have it. Uh, so Willie Brown uh, said he had avoided uh, commenting on it, um, but he said it's the elephant in the room, because in California it's known. It's the elephant in the room, um, and he says, I've been peppered with calls uh, from media about our relationship and uh, he says, yes, we dated. It, it was a period of a few years, and uh, she was just a few years out of law school and uh, working in the district attorney's office in Alameda County. And uh, Brown, this extraordinarily powerful guy, uh, appointed her to two well-paid positions on state uh, commissions. Um, he was the speaker of the uh, of the California Assembly, uh, and he definitely helped her with her race for DA. Uh, their relationship ended just before he became mayor in 1985. 
95, 95, excuse me. So I don't know. I didn't know any of this. I was a little, I thought, whoa. But, you know, if this were a man, this would be like a mentorship relationship, I guess. It's just that um, pesky fact that he was married. Um, but I don't know. But see, men get passes. Donald Trump didn't bother any, didn't bother people. Um, and Brown went on to say, look, I've helped a lot of people in their careers. I helped Nancy Pelosi. I helped Gavin Newsom. I've helped Dianne Feinstein. I mean, he, and he was not romantically involved with any of them. Uh, she did get paid about 80000 a year for these commissions he put her on, and she was also working as in the district attorney's office. So he helped her financially in that regard, and he gifted her with, a, I believe, a BMW at one point. I'm just saying, this is, this is all out there now. Um, and in his column, he said this, Kamala Harris is riding a buzz wave, the likes of which we haven't seen in years. The question is whether she can turn the buzz into a solid political operation. So we'll see. Willie Brown, though, I mean, I, he's a character that I just get the biggest kick out of and have for decades and decades and decades. And that was, uh, wow, <laughs> Kamala Harris. So she would have been in her 20s, and he'd be, uh, he was 31 years older. He is 31 years older than she. All right, just saying. It's going to be, I just said I didn't want to get involved in this stuff, right? And what have I done? Spent the first uh, quarter of the show talking about uh, Howard Schultz and Kamala Harris. Well, you know, getting to know them, getting to know all about them. We're going to have to, I mean, uh, Democrats, if we're going to sort through this uh, this crowd. God. All righty. Oh, and speaking of mentorships, this was an interesting little thing I came across. Why aren't I, Why am I not surprised? It, as you know, the, the, the gazillionaires met in Davos, um, last week, and um, the World Economic Forum. And the New York Times uh, has a piece today about the fact that many of the powerful men, and it is mostly men, many of the powerful men there said that as a result of the Me Too movement, well, I'll, I'll I will quote one. I now think twice about spending one-on-one -on -one time with a young female colleague. It's just too sensitive. And I guess they went around asking people, these powerful men about this, and they found that a lot of these guys now say that they're simply going to avoid women. Well, you know what that means. The glass ceiling will be back up and uh, triple-paned. 
because men are in power. In order for women to be in power, they do have to be mentored. That's the way it works. And that would mean men mentoring younger women. And these guys are saying, I ain't going near one. So the piece is about how here is an unintended consequence of women finally speaking out about the sexual harassment that they have dealt with and the reaction by the men in power is then to protect themselves by refusing to be anywhere near a woman, depriving any woman <coughs> in their orbit of mentorship, of being exposed to And so it talks about the fact that for a lot of these um, CEO types that they look at the Me Too movement and all they see is a, a risk uh, management issue. What's in it for me? Nothing. I'm just going to stay away from these broads. And anyone in the women's movement will say this will this will drop us back decades if this is the reaction uh, there is an economist who's done research on this recently said that two-thirds of male executives hesitate to hold one-on-one -on -one meetings with women in more junior positions Just saying. Okay. One of the fa my favorite things that the New York Times does is every once in a while, although it seems much more often than they used to, they have a whole section, usually about 10, 12 pages, standalone section that is aimed at uh, at kids. And um, it's full of information that is fascinating. I got to tell you, I think their kids thing is the best thing they put out. <laughs> and I am a I am a voracious reader of uh, of their of their kids supplement and actually I wanted to uh, share something that I learned in it um, yesterday because in the international news section of it uh, they talk about Brexit as you know it's something we haven't talked about much Brexit is a huge huge thing going on in the UK and uh, and Europe and it's a disaster, it's a mess. No one knows how it's shaking out, but my guess is is that 90-some percent of Americans really could not explain what it is and why it's such a potential disaster. And so I'm just going to cheat sheet this for you. For those of you who... I, 
you know, you don't have to volunteer that you aren't quite sure why Brexit is such an important thing, but here you go. And they, they talk about the history. They, they, they mention, you know, the European Union exists and the UK has been part of it. It's 28 na nations, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and that the Brits were never particularly thrilled about sharing power with other countries. Um, and because that's what the EU sort of requires. The it's not that they lose their sovereignty, but they it becomes part of a union, right? So they mentioned that uh, you know st Britain started grousing about it, and um, the prime minister at the time, David Cameron, you may remember, a conservative said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. You, we're going to pose the question to you. Do we stay in the EU or do we leave? And so he put out this referendum vote, absolutely certain that it would fail. And it didn't. It was a shock. It was as much of a shock as Donald Trump being elected president here. And it was the same kind of impulse coming from the same kind of anger and a lot of anti-immigrant feeling. So it's David Cameron who is to blame <laughs> for Brexit. But he disappeared, of course, almost immediately after that. And uh, in comes Theresa May, who's now the now the head of the Conservative Party, and it's fallen to her. Uh, this is this classic thing we were talking about on Friday, right? As soon as the guys end up messing everything up, a woman gets brought in to clean it up. Cameron caused the disaster. May, the woman, is brought in to clean it up, and she she can't she can't do it. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is uh, she's been in talks with people from the European Union trying to figure out a, a way that Britain will leave but still maintain some ties, um, and nothing can be agreed on. And as maybe you know, the parliament uh, roundly, uh, roundly voted down the plan that she put uh, before him before them. Uh, so here's the here's where we stand. And I know this is all like written for ten year olds, but it worked for me. Without agreement from Parliament, Brexit could be really messy. Extra checks at seaports could mean gridlock for trucks, shortages of imported food or vital medicines even grounded airplanes, even without the worst possible outcome, it will be harder for British citizens to live in European countries or work in European countries. Um, stop and think of that channel, is that what they call it, that they built between uh, England and, and France? 
when Eng with England in the e EU, that is traffic that just goes, no problem. Yeah, you know, there's traffic, there's not borders. It's like going from Ohio to Pennsylvania, whatever. Now, if they, and they, they are going to have to pull out of the EU, that will make that channel this incredible jammed artery, I would imagine. So whatever, March 29th is the big day. That's the date that they're supposed to get out. The problem is nobody knows, nor do they agree on how they're getting out. So May 29th could bring absolute chaos. Just say it. So that's Brexit. Whenever you start feeling embarrassed by our government, you can always cast uh, you know, your gaze across the at Atlantic um, because the Brits are every bit as messed up as we are. Every bit. Their government is every bit as dysfunctional. And their party structure, every bit as tattered. And their population, <laughs> every bit as angry and cynical and frightened. So, that's it. The great English-speaking world in disarray. Uh, Ray sent me something. It is. It's. It, it. I thought it was a joke, but I guess it's not. It's a um, a flyer that comes out of Canada, Ontario, and it's put out by a school, a teachers union, and um, it's. It's announcing that there's going to be inclusiveness training uh, for uh, for staff members, but it's the thing at the top that is <laughs> because it doesn't say LGBT inclusiveness training. It says this. Hang on. L G G B D T T T I Q Q A A P P inclusiveness training. And I did start making jokes a long time ago about this sort of alphabet soup that kept getting added on to to the point of to me ridiculousness. But under this LGBTQAAPP uh, inclusivist training, they do tell the clueless what all of that means. The LGBT. Here's what it means: lesbian, gay, gender queer. So now there's two G's: gay and gender queer. The B is bisexual. LGB. But now we got a D in there before the T, demisexual, demisexual, D-E-M-I, I, uh, that's a new one to me, okay, lesbian, gay, genderqueer, bisexual, demisexual, 
Then we got three T's, transgender, transsexual, two-spirit. That's a new one. Then we got an I, intersex. Then we got the Q, and then we got two Q's. One's queer, one's questioning. Then we got two A's, asexual and allies. And then we got two P's, pansexual and polyamorous. <laughs> I mean no disrespect, but that is just begging for ridicule. I am sorry. I agree that having just two, you're a man or you're a woman, is is narrow, and that there is there is a continuum of human sexuality, and like snowflakes, we are all different. My mother always says there are billions of different sexual sexualities because every human is. This sort of is different. There's super masculine. There's super feminine. There's in between. There's a, you know, but to label every, and then to feel like you might be disrespecting somebody because you, it, it just makes me frigging insane here, guys. This is ridiculous. LGBTTTTIQQAAPP inclusiveness training, and they're not kidding. And they go on to say, let me see if I can get this any bigger. Our goal <coughs> is to become more familiar with current language and sensitive to current issues and to share best practices in supporting our LGBTTTIQQAAPP peers and students. I mean, a laudatory goal. But if you think that that, wor that alphabet salad is not going to have grown five more letters by the time you actually hold the training, you're a bit naive. I mean, come on. Two-spirit? What's the difference between intersex and queer? I've asked these questions of people, and I get such, I, I, I mean, jeez. I am for letting anybody be whatever they want to be, but this labeling is getting me insane. Thank you, Milton. A demisexual is a person who does not experience sexual attraction unless they form a strong emotional connection with someone. Well, that's like a whole bunch of women, I'll tell you that. I mean, that's one of the things that... It Why does that have to be defined? A demisexual is a person who does not experience sexual attraction unless they form a strong emotional connection with someone. It's more commonly seen in, but by no means confined to romantic relationships. Well, fine. I can see then that somebody can be a demisexual as well as a uh, 
heterosexual or a homosexual or a, you know, the word homosexual isn't even there anymore. I don't, right, gay, it isn't, right? You can't, is that like an absolute? Okay, pansexuality or omnisexuality is the sexual, romantic, or emotional attraction towards people regardless of their sex. In other words, you love everybody. You have can get sexual with everybody. No problem. Male, female, intersexual, queer, uh, demisexual, although the demisexual would not want to get involved with you because they need a relationship first. Pansexual refer, may, people may refer to themselves as gender blind, asserting that gender and sex are not determining factors in their romantic or sex. Okay, fine, just fine. Leave me alone. I can't take it. I really, this is starting to make me crazy. I am so f sorry, and I'm sorry. Two-spirit. This is a new one. That is one of the T's is a modern pan-Indian umbrella term used by some indigenous North Americans to describe certain people who fulfill a traditional third gender ceremonial role in their cultures. All right. Okay. That's fine. Just count me out, really, until the dust settles on that, too. I, I just can't. People are people. I respect them. I don't care how they are attracted to people. I don't care what little things are in their head. I got mine. You got yours. Everybody got theirs. We now acknowledge that. Can we stop cubbyholing everything? Jeez. Excuse me me crazy. Oh, we have a caller. I'm sorry. I'm getting annoyed. Hello, caller. Hey, Lynn. It's Mike in D.C. I knew it was you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> resident gay caller. <laughs> I want to assure you that this none of this is coming from the gay community. This is what? all coming from that helicopter-parented generation who says, what about me, what about me? You didn't include cis this, right? It's all that whole, I am a victim of your patriarchy. And what's really dangerous to that is that the Republicans really know who their enemy is, right? Enemy, white, good, brown, black, bad. And they get that message very clearly who the enemy is to their base. But our base, young people, people who are liberal, are so worried about offending someone that we're there, particularly this generation, is misconstruing who their enemy is. Their enemy is not Lynn Cohen, who doesn't want to care what cis means or spirited guide business. <laughs> You're not their enemy. No. Their enemy is the Republican Party who says that um, – who worked diligently 
to step on a minority, whether they're gay, whether they're black, whether they're cis, whatever. And that's the danger here is that, okay, we're including you, ha, 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 spirit guide business. The danger, though, is you don't know who the enemy is. The enemy is not people who don't agree with you in your own camp. The enemy is the Republicans who are doing everything they can to subjugate someone with less power than they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but I don't know what we can do about it. <laughs> I don't know. what I, I, I think there's something to what you're saying, that this is coming out of that that generation that has, you know, just... I, Boy, are they screwy. I mean, it's it's screwy. You can't ever have a hole at W-H-O-L-E of the power of what unity brings if you have people who are constantly trying to rip people from each other and put them in boxes and then get militant about it. Jesus. All right. It must be scary for them to deal with the reality of the world that they have no power over Russia fixing the the election or Trump um, uh, treating Hispanics like dogs in cages. So instead of dealing with those bigger issues, I'm going to focus on there should be an alphabet soup and spirit guide should be in there. (laughs) What do you think's next? I mean, if they're bringing in two spirit into it now um which is just a term that probably applies to what can we count them on our fingers and toes um because it's a term by some indigenous north americans to describe some people in their communities who fulfill a third i mean come on excuse me what do you imagine is next I think everybody should have their own gender. That's it. And there's not enough letters in the alphabet to to let us each have a little name. Call yourself, come up with a name for what you are. Actually, my gender is Lynn Cullen. That's my gender. And if you don't understand it... What's next is that when we invade Venezuela or North Korea in order to get a King Baby reelected, yeah. then all of these people who were so worried because... I didn't know what cis meant, or I had totally turned the page now whenever I see anything related to this topic. Um, We'll have to figure out that, oh, there are bigger issues at play right now than your fucking feelings. You know what they... Go see a fucking therapist. You know what they will say is you who are, let let me label you, you are a white, gay male right huh and off of my back and my shoulders and my fighting that you are even fucking here today able to cry about your little pissy well what about me bullshit because if it wasn't for my generation the gays would still have there'd be no prep anti-gay anti-gay i'm sorry anti-hiv treatments There'd be nobody gay even possibly in, able to run for the government or on TV. So it's off of my white entitled gay ass that you're able to act like a fool. That's what I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) How's that, Lynn? I liked it. How'd I do? I I think you did. You done good. 
Hey, are you going to be able to go back to work? Hey, are you going to be able to go back to work as a contractor now that this, uh, uh, what's happening? Um, you know, I got another job, actually, it looks like. Oh, okay, but, um, good. Un unrelated to the, my unemployment's unrelated to the furlough. Mine is just a regular um, unemployment. Okay. All right. Well, so, um, thanks for asking. Yeah. yeah. So in March, you'll probably be hearing less from me. You're hearing more from me now because I'm at home. Yeah. Because you're... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, feel free to share as long as you can, and thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 Uh, we have another uh, caller. Hello, caller. Hello. I, I, I missed where you said that. Where were you reading that at? It's a, a uh, screenshot. Somebody sent a screenshot of a, of a flyer that was put up... Um, obviously somewhere in Canada, announcing a, this was by a teacher's union in Ontario. So, uh, I've been trying to stay calm about these things myself. Because <laughs> yeah. I 100% agree with you. On the other hand, so when I'm ranting about this, my wife is uh, uh, completely convinced that this is just a way I, uh, to just keep us all divided from each other. I mean, it's, it's a, like it's, a real issue but like there's like one person somewhere calling for this or there's some the or there's some I, Russian I, bots I got diversity training and yeah yeah this is something that uh, Russian bots would get into this does right. Not, right well right yeah it's yeah not real I mean it's so it's, yeah. yes I mean it's real in the sense that yes somewhere somebody sent this memo but like and it's not even in this country <laughs> no it is not so it's not anything that, I'm just saying, I don't think it's anything to get that upset about. It's like kind of chuckle about it, and yes, it's real. And like, whenever we, I think all of us, like, just need to do exactly what I could always forget his name, but the last caller said, it's we're all in the same camp. Yeah. We all agree right. on the major topics. Right. You're right. Not freak out about the little things. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You're right. No, You're absolutely not. right. But. Yeah, this does exist. It is real, but it is on our side. It's on the side that would vote on, you know, with us. And um, oh God, yeah. yeah. Keep your I eye on the like prize. Grownups or whatever. I think. I mean, I think you're right. What you're. I mean, what he was saying. Yeah. Is, yeah. This is something aimed at the younger generation, and I certainly see. And I and I've seen my friends who. Well, they. I guess they do have younger kids, but they're not helicopter parents, so they're aware of this stuff, and they use some of these terms. I mean, you went well beyond anything I've ever heard, too. But um, so I think that just, I mean, I guess being aware of it is good, but like freaking out is probably not the greatest idea. I think that's, I think that's <laughs> absolutely is, when right. My first re when I first was reading you here, listening to you, sorry, uh, I was having the exact same reaction as you. And then my wife's uh, calming words went through my head. It's like, it's not real. It's like shark attack. That's what she always <laughs> says. People get attacked by sharks. But remember, it's not very many. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a no. little more than shark attacks. But yes, your wife is. Yeah, it, her her cautionary note is 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 correct. But I wish it's these these people that push this LGBTQQAP. I they're the ones who need to hear that, and they they're deaf to it. They do, but and I guess if we ever run into one in real life, we can like have a discussion with them because I've never. I mean, I, I mean, I certainly, I know a pretty fair number of people in that community, and I've never, and get, you know, and it's it, so the interesting thing in the last few years is the number of transgender people that have, yeah. that you know, I came to be aware of in my sphere. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, 
I mean, that's the upside of the whole thing. And I think that's right. I kind of uh, try to focus on that, that there really was uh, a positive side to this. So, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Up, but, uh, okay. Right, have a good week. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay, so we'll leave it. I think that's right. So I learned a new word this weekend, and I want to share it with you. Sumptuary. It sounds so sexy, doesn't it? Like sumptuous, sumptuous, sumptuary. It sounds sensual. There, there's a uh, there's a classification of legislation that are called sumptuary laws. Just saying. And I didn't know it. I'm aware of what, I mean, if I tell you what sumptuary laws are, you'll say, oh, yeah. So a sumptuary law um, have been used in Eastern cultures, Western cultures, you name it. And it's a means of control, as all laws are. Uh, to But sumptuary laws generally target economics and social hierarchy. So, a sumptuary law is a law that regulates consumption of something. So, uh, it might apply to what you can eat or drink. So, prohibition, American prohibition, was a huge sumptuary law. Um, according to this article, I just found this fascinating, the oldest known sumptuary law is from uh, 6th centuries uh, BC in Greece in one of their little bailiwicks and it banned all the citizens of Locri except prostitutes. They were exempt. <laughs> Prostitutes were exempt, but all other citizens, according to this law, could not wear ostentatious displays of gold jewelry. I don't know why, how the come the prostitutes got a pass. That's fascinating. Um, sumptuary laws are invariably aimed at... Uh, less powerful groups, particularly women, and they are used by the men in power. They, they are generally said to be because they're keeping track of, a, of morality, but in fact they're means of control. So there's a whole bunch of other ones in the Rome that had to do with banning women from owning more than a half ounce of gold, and they said it was because they were at war and this was, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then later there was this effort to repeal it after the war. And that's when Cato, the elder, uh, inadvertently revealed what the law was really about. And he said this, What these women want is complete freedom once they have achieved equality. They will be your masters. Once we let them own gold, once we let them own a half ounce of gold, 
they're going to take over. So it was not about the war and austerity measures. <laughs> it was about controlling women. Um, and a little more history here. So when the merchant class uh, was created um, in the, like, starting around 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, you started getting people who were not royal, and they were not serfs, but they were in between, and they were like a middle class. And, uh, man, that set off, the rise of the middle class set off sumptuary laws left, right, and center as the royal class tried to keep these upstarts down. So by the 16th century, these sumptuary laws had extended from what kind of clothing people were allowed to wear to almost every other aspect of their lives. Here's, here's one example. King Henry VIII of England, who we certainly know of, uh, issued a sumptuary law in 1517 that made clear how many dishes could be served at someone's table in your own home. So, if you were a cardinal, you could have a maximum of nine dishes at a meal. If you were a member of the aristocracy, you could only have seven dishes at your table. And if you were one of these middle class types who had a lot of money, you could have no more than three dishes at your dinner. And that was a <laughs> law from the king. And it was to keep the social classes separated and in their place. There's an interesting quote here from uh, William Howard Taft when he was president because there was, that's when, there was already when he was president an effort uh, uh, for prohibition of alcohol. And he did not he did not support it at all. And he said it's coercive. There is nothing consensual about it. And he said this. This is his quote. Experience has shown that a law of this kind, sumptuary in its character, can only be enforced in districts in which a majority of the people favor the law. So this is like, this is what happened with marijuana, too. Marijuana criminalization made criminals out of otherwise totally law-abiding people, as did prohibition, because it didn't come from the people. Taft recognized prohibition as actually an anti-immigration uh, spasm. He understood that the people behind it were trying, t were fearful of Italians, were fearful of the Irish, huge immigrant groups, 
that were looked down on and for whom alcohol was definitely part and parcel of the culture. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church with its wine was, and these guys were nativists, they were anti-Catholic, they were anti-Italian and anti-Irish, and prohibition stemmed from that. So Taft understood it, it, that it was an attempt by the same people we still got around, nativists, nationalists, people who wanted to impose some kind of cultural uniformity that they were comfortable with uh, on immigrant communities. Uh, but of course, no one listened to Taft and uh, prohibition came into being and was the disaster he predicted it would be. Um, Oh, Milton, you're unbelievable. He found an article in the Daily Mail about that inclusivist training in Ontario. <laughs> um, oh, and that's where the picture is in. Okay. Uh, okay, if anyone... We could post this, I guess. I don't know. I think we're best to not stir the pot and just leave it alone. But thank you. You're amazing. Um, oh, my God. Barbara sent me something that just, I mean, are you kidding me? Texas Republicans use Holocaust Remembrance Day to bash the left. Oh my God. The, the Republican Party of Harris County published a p post blaming the genocide of European Jews on leftism. Leftism kills, it wrote in a now deleted Facebook post on Sunday. In memory of the six million Jews lost to Nazi hatred in the name of National Socialism, we will never forget. Well, the Anti-Defamation League went berserk. It's unfortunate, they said, that someone at the Harris County Republican Party thought that that would be an appropriate message for Holocaust Remembrance Day. It wasn't leftism that killed in the Holocaust. Anti-Semitism and blind hate led to the deaths of millions of people. Oh my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't think we're being helped by the, um, by our ability now to see and hear things that we otherwise wouldn't, you know, like this. Uh, back in the day, who'd ever know? But our ability now, because of social media, to immediately send off this kind of stuff and have it create more rage, and I, I just, God, we're, we're not helped by this, are we? Which brings me to this 
this thing titled It's Not Too Late to Quit Social Media. <laughs> and it, it's, it's pretty much written by this guy who is himself a, um, a computer scientist. And he's young. He's in his 30s. And he said from the very beginning, he saw that the downside of social media. Um, he, in 2010, this guy, when he was like in his 20s, uh, wrote an article called um, An Argument for Quitting Facebook. But he says what these technologies have done is they have stolen our lives. They have totally altered the things we find important. They make us, we're like Pavlovian dogs now. Um, when social media started up, it was much slower moving. But, you know, with our little iPhones now and um, all these different ways of being in touch. And the people, the, you know, the guys who own Twitter and Facebook, they want to keep us coming back. That's what their job is. And they figured out how to do this. Little things like thumbs up in the air and replies and heart. They make us keep coming back. Um, and he, he said it's quite clear what uh, social media companies did to triple or quadruple how many times we engaged with them. They needed to reel us back in, and that's where we got the rise of, say, the like button or tagging photos, because these are small indicators of approval. And if there's something humans like, it's knowing they're approved of or liked. And so that finding out if somebody liked what we said or somebody tagged us, that is important. He says it's it's not unlike uh, having a slot machine at your desk. <laughs> you know, try to stay away from it. So they've addicted us. And he says this. I, his name is Cal Newport. He said, when I talk to people who are very distressed about their digital life, it's not those original political things that they care about. You know, it's not that I don't like what Russia did in the election. It's I'm on this more than I want to be, more than is healthy. It's keeping me from my kids. It's keeping me from my friends. It's keeping me from things I used to enjoy. I think it's hurting the quality of my life. It might be too late. He says, the fact is, is that we allowed this incredibly powerful technology to almost redefine human social interaction in just a few years. He said, we should have been more wary <laughs> of taking human sociality incredibly powerful and shaped by a million years of evolution how humans interact, and allowing some 22-year-olds in California to reinvent it. 
He goes on to say, you know, people say, but I'll lose track of friends. I've, you know, Facebook lets me. And he says, look, this idea that it's important to maintain hundreds or thousands of weak tie connections is very recent in American, I mean, in, in human history. And if, you, if it can keep you from investing more time into the types of relationships that have defined human sociology and experience for millennia, which are having close friends, family, and community, instead of... And it's so true. We have just... Wow. Okay. No, I think that's it. Um, I think Susan will be joining us tomorrow. And I think I'm about to sneeze, so I'm saying goodbye. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.